Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. How are we doing? Good. It's good to be with you all. If you missed last week, we had Pastor Daniel Grothy with us, who's up from New Life Church, works closely with Brady, and wasn't he fun? Wasn't he awesome? I, uh, he's one of those guys where he's so nice that I'm like, you are fake nice. And then the more you hang out with him, then the more I'm just like, nope, that's how you are all of the time, you know? And I, I noticed like each service, he was the last person to sit down in the greeting time. I like looked down, I thought we were ready to start. And he was like, he was like back over here with you guys. And I was just like, all right, this, he's a good dude. If you missed the message, you talked about the power of place, the, the, the ability to be rooted in a rootless age where things are just constantly moving, constantly changing. It was a great message. Catch it on a podcast. You could check out his book if you need to. Um, but otherwise, uh, it was fun having him with us, wasn't it? Yes. All right. Uh, but this week, we're going to jump in and talk back in the gospel of Mark. A couple weeks ago, like Caden mentioned in the worship set, we talked about this idea of ransom, that God has paid your bill in full. That if you have put your faith in Jesus, there is nothing left in your past that can haunt you. There's nothing left in your past that can still grab you. You can press on into all that God has for you, feeling guiltless and spotless, because that is exactly how God sees you. Amen? Amen. And this week, what we're going to talk about is this idea of renewal, that God's plan for your life is not just that you would become a better person, but that you would actually be a better person. That you would actually not just kind of look a certain way and have different kind of behaviors in your life so that you present nicely, but that you actually possess life inside of you that has changed you. And so to do that, Jesus uses the parable of a fig tree. And I was going to bring as an object lesson, uh, a lime tree that I got for Father's Day this year. I don't know why, it's kind of a weird thing, but I just, I really, really wanted a lime tree for Father's Day this year. I wanted it last year and and they were sold out at Home Depot. So Katie ordered one online and you know, here it comes in this box. There's this lime tree. I kid you not, the little lime tree delivered to my house in a box, opened it up, it's green as ever, looks beautiful. I put that thing in my backyard. I've been tending to it carefully, thoughtfully, evaluating it day by day, every day since Father's Day, middle of June. And I'll tell you what, like that, it's still green. It still looks really good. The, the leaves look alive. It's even grown a little bit. Like I can see new shoots starting all over the place. It's gotten a little taller in some places. And every day I go out there and I just look under the little branches and there's nothing. <laughs> it's, it looks really good. It's alive. Like it presents nicely. It's, it's just, it's like the most green shrub in our backyard right now. And you look under all the little leaves and there's all these little baby leaves and all these things going on. And guess what there is not? I'm not, listen, I'm not expecting like a full grown lime. It's a, it's a, it's a new plant. All right. Like, but I am expecting like a little, like a little uh, grape looking thing or something, you know, like nothing, nothing. And that, that is the, that is the object lesson that Jesus uses to teach us something today is a fig tree that even though it's not even totally the season for fruit, he's looking for something to be there that it would be presenting itself as being an actual fig tree. How many of y'all like figs? Just quick off the top here. Okay, I, I don't think I do. I like Fig Newtons, but I don't know that I've ever had real figs. You know what I'm saying? But this, like, it was this, it was this picture, this tree that should have emulated fruitfulness. And we'll read here in just a second that it, it presents well. The fig tree looks really nice on the outside, but on the inside, what it's lacking is it's lacking the power to actually produce fruit. And so what we're talking about today is this idea of hypocrisy, specifically spiritual hypocrisy. 
And so, I, listen, I, I know one of the biggest accusations against the church today that you and I even sit in right now, there's probably somebody in your life, and maybe you don't even know who it is, that has accused you or accused this church or this place, this gathering, as being hypocritical. Right? I, mean, I, would, I would never go to, I'd never go into a church. Those people are so, those religious people are so hypocritical. And while I would say that, that hypocrisy absolutely is sinful, and all of us in here are sinners, not always are sinners hypocrites. The more that I hang out with church people, the more that I hang out and get to know like, you people and sitting in front of me, myself included, the more I realize, oh no, we're not hypocrites. Not most of us. Maybe we've got little pockets in our heart, but most of us know, no, 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 I'm, I'm a sinful person in desperate need of Jesus's righteousness, right? And yet there are still people that can exist amongst us, pockets of our own heart even, that can allow spiritual hypocrisy to thrive. And that's what we're gonna read about today in Mark chapter 11. And so if you have your Bible with you, would you open on up to Mark 11, 15? I'm sorry, Mark 12, Mark 11, 12. And if you don't have your Bible, it's gonna be up on the screen for you. It says, on the following day, when they came from Bethany, he, Jesus, was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. That could be the little subtitle of my message today. Nothing but leaves. Nothing but leaves. On my lime tree and on this fig tree. I did not curse mine to die, though. You'll see in just a sec what I'm talking about. Um, I'm still trying to, you know, I I want the thing to make it. So, okay. Um, Found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Now, we could get lost in the fact that Jesus is looking for fruitfulness in a season when it was not expected to bear fruit. And we could get kind of trapped in the details here. But take, for example, what's happening is Jesus is like, Jesus is often teaching in parables, right? And parables are these these earthly stories with really earthly application that have heavenly meaning stamped behind them. So we can actually see the seed. We can see these different things that he's talking about here on earth. But what he's trying to do is he's trying to convey something from heaven. And what Jesus is doing right here is don't get so sad for this tree and what's about to happen to it. What we should see is why is Jesus cursing the fruit tree? It's because it was intended to bear fruit and and it was not. And so he's he's using the fig tree as this object lesson for us to learn something about presenting with nice leaves, but bearing no fruit. And they came to Jerusalem. They came to Jerusalem, just so you can kind of set the timing this, of this correctly. Uh, Jesus had just ridden in on a colt. We had just celebrated Palm Sunday and Hosanna, and the, we did the Palm Parade and everything like that. That was just two days before this. So we are now following Jesus in his final days towards the cross. He came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. This is like every, every person who struggles with anger, this is like your favorite verse, isn't it? You're like, Jesus overturned the tables too. And I just want to say, probably not for the reasons that you flipped over your table in your living room one night. <laughs> right, Jesus, I also just love the reality of this passage that Jesus is not just this like, this totally like feathered hair, model looking, paintbrush, perfect person. He's perfect, right? That's not what I mean. But you know, he, he doesn't just emulate what we think of him in pictures where he's just always cuddling a lamb. No, Jesus had like a ferocious side to him too. And we'll talk more about why that was in this scenario here. But he overturns the tables. He, 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 he flips over the tables of all the money changers, kicks over all the seats of those who sold pigeons. In, in, in other gospels, we can read that it, this, was, this was actually premeditated on Jesus's end. I mean, this was, this was like, 
This was uh, level one, if you want to go there with like a felony. Like it was like, he thought about this for a while. He actually, it says he fashioned a whip together. Like you don't just, you don't just do that. Even if you're the son of God, you don't just do that instantaneously. Like he thought about this. He was, he was mad, but he was righteously mad. He never sinned. And so there's something here that's, that's right and it's good. It says in verse 16, he, he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Verse 20, as they passed by the next morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he has said will come to pass. It will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Jesus, we just ask that you would show us something today. Would you uh, reveal maybe some of our own tendencies, some of our own error, God? Would you, if we have gotten too settled into a certain kind of behavior that isn't generating fruitfulness, I pray that that would be evaluated this morning. God, I pray that you would let your word press on us this morning. I pray that you would stir us up to be all the more captured by who you are and what you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, what we're going to walk through today are these five different leaves of spiritual hypocrisy. So, so there's lots of different ways we can be a hypocrite, right? Um, for example, I don't know if you've ever struggled with this before, but, but I, I will consistently tell my kids that it is not a good idea to eat sugar right before bed. Any other parents in the room just want to be honest? Grandparents in the room that want to be extra honest this morning? Because I don't know how all y'all grandparents roll. I mean, don't even care. You sugar up the kids and then just send them right back home. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll, I'll literally talk to my kids in one minute and be like, listen, you can't eat ice cream right before bed. And then they'll disappear for a half an hour and then they'll come back down to watch me uh, halfway through crushing a gallon of Tillamook. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm just sitting there with shame and ice cream spilled all over. And I'm just like, yeah, like, hey, what, what's the line, parents? What's the line that we usually say in that moment? Do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> if that was the motto for a hypocrite, like that, that is it, right? Do as I say, not as I do. Uh, to be hypocritical is to be demanding of some sort of behavior while you lack to demonstrate it yourself. So if we can just say in a broad context uh, way that hypocrisy, what it is, it's demanding something of someone, whether that's a virtue, whether that's behaving a way, whether that's thinking a certain way, but you personally lack the ability to demonstrate what you're demanding. So that's hypocrisy. So then more specifically, because it comes in all sorts of flavors, if you will, to go back to ice cream, right? It comes in all sorts of flavors of hypocrisy. The one we're going to talk about today is spiritual hypocrisy. Spiritual hypocrisy. And the way we'll simply define that is it's presenting a life of devotion to God while you actually love a heart that's in love with Jesus. You lack a heart that's in love with Jesus. So on the outside, you're, you're doing all these things. You're you're at the small group mixer, you're, you're reading your Bible every morning, you're, you know the right spot of the, the song to raise your hands and worship, and you're, you're presenting in this way like you're really in love with Jesus. But at the end of the day, if I sat down across from the coffee table with you and I said, what has Jesus been showing you recently? What do you love about him right now? And you'd fumble for an answer because, the, because there's this disconnect between what you're demanding in one moment and what you're demonstrating in another. That is what spiritual hypocrisy is. 
And spiritual hypocrisy, the way that we're going to catch it is we're going to see it in a bunch of different symptoms. And I think they're shown pretty clearly in these passages here in front of us. Because what Mark does, remember, he's always, Mark is always like ninjaing something in the text. So we read about this fig tree and Jesus is going along and they're just coming from this place, Bethsaida, which is literally known as the city of figs, right? Apparently it's like this big deal in the ancient Near East. There's just fig trees everywhere. They're coming from this city. They go into Jerusalem. He finds this fig tree and he's like, man, that fig tree looks beautiful. And he's hungry. Jesus, look, notice this. Jesus is expecting something and he's let down. So he's expecting to find fruitfulness. And what he just finds is leaves. He finds nothing of substance. And so he evaluates this fig tree and he's like, man, looks great. Goes and looks at it. No fruit at all. He curses the fig tree. He's like, you're going to die. <laughs> I mean, just like, man, this feels harsh, right? And then all of a sudden we bounce to this other scene where he's at the temple. He's at the temple and, and Jesus, is, it, it almost reads, doesn't it? Like Jesus is just having a bad day. Like he's so mad at this fig tree. He's so mad at the temple. And then all of a sudden we're, we're back at the fig tree. And the thing, it says it's, it's withered from its roots. Like, you know, a plant is dead, dead when the roots look bad. You know what I mean? Like usually you can tell a plant is starting to struggle because the leaves and the far off branches start to get maybe brown, a little curled up. But when you see that the roots are dead, when you see that the roots have rotted out, that, that like that fig tree is, is dead as dead. And so Mark is trying to show us something here that somehow the, the, the object lesson of the fig tree is caught up in Jesus cleansing the temple, which is the second time he's done this, by the way. He does it at the beginning and the end of his ministry. He cleanses the temple. He, he goes and because he is a priest, right? Jesus holds a threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. And because he is also our great high priest, as we read all about over Hebrews, what we see is that he is, he is concerned with how we worship. And the priest's job was to make sure there was right order and right demonstration of worship in the temple. And so Jesus shows that he holds this office by coming and cleansing the temple, coming and taking care of what's going on in the temple. And what we find in the temple is not good. There is tons of people tolerating corruption. That's the first leaf of spiritual hypocrisy, tolerating corruption. See, because what's going on here is we, we see this in verse 15. They came to Jerusalem. He entered the temple. He began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Um, what's going on in the temple is it's Passover week. If you would read uh, some kind of other historical literature around the Bible and around what's going on, like in jo Josephus, he references that during Passover week in Jerusalem, there would have been 250,000 lambs that were sacrificed in this one week alone. Now listen, I, my uncle, he used to own a farm just not far from here, and we would go over there to feed those lambs uh, maybe a couple times a summer. We'd go help them with chores. And like, I don't know, 100 lambs or so around this property. And when you would like, as soon as they would see a hay bale, those things would go berserk. Like they would ba, like, like it was loud. Like you were like, oh my gosh, you should feed these sheep more often. You know what I mean? I can only imagine what 250,000 lambs would look like as they were brought in, as they were put to death, as they were sacrificed for the payment of the sins of the people. But what would happen is, is people were coming from all over the ancient world. To, they were making this pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And so they, rather than like raise and bring their own sheep, what they would do is they would come, make the, make the journey to the temple, and they would purchase a sheep there. Because, because this is what the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. If you wanted to observe and celebrate the Passover, you had to sacrifice this lamb as a family. And so what they do for their convenience is they would purchase a lamb, and, and 
if you didn't come from Jerusalem, you probably didn't have the right money for the temple in your own hand. And so you had to, just like you have to, if we go to Mexico or France, you got to go get your dollars turned into pesos, right? Or whatever French money is. I don't know. Who cares? But um, <laughs> they would come in and they would, they would get their money exchanged and there were these exorbitant, uh, almost extortionary exchange rates that were happening at the temple. So, so these people who were leading the temple were allowing this to happen. They were tolerating the corruption that there were so many Jewish people in the court, in the outer courts of the temple, that were profiting, seeing this as an opportunity to, to profit on what other people were trying to bring for worship. Now, this is what the corrupt level that's happening here. I think you have to, uh, we're not going to go all the way back and read through the Old Testament, but if you start with Abraham, Father Abraham, he had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, I'm one of them, so are you, so let's just praise the Lord, right? That's the song, or so I've heard, I didn't grow up in a Christian household, but it's been sung to me, okay? What was Abraham's blessing? God blessed Abraham and his family so that all of the families of the world may be blessed. If we go all the way back in the narrative of what God is trying to do in the world, he picks this one family and he says, through your offspring, I'm going to bless the rest of the world. Then if we flash forward to David and Solomon, they build this grand and perfect, beautiful temple. And the temple, the way that's arranged, it has the holy of holies, it has the inner courts, it has the outer courts of the temple. And in that outer courts, what was allowed was people from all over who weren't even Jewish people could come and they could worship God rightly. So with the temple, here's what you have to mean. Here's what you have to understand. The temple, it is given to the world for a place for there to be this convergence of heaven and earth. And it is this invitation to the nations around Israel to come and to encounter the Lord. And so now, I mean, Israel messes that up. The temple gets destroyed. Now we have this other temple that Jesus is walking in today. And what he expects to find is a house of prayer for the nations, a house where people can come in and can encounter the Lord. And what he finds instead are people who have misaligned the purpose of the temple and they see it as a chance for profit rather than prayer. They see it as a chance to make money. They, they have totally gotten off base at what the temple was meant to be. And so they start, they start tolerating this corrupt behavior. Like why, why would the Jewish leaders of the day allow for this kind of stuff to happen? I, I think as I think about what hypocrisy does in all of us, how many of you know, like when you, when you know that you're faking it with something and you're trying to like, Watch other people. If, even if you see bad things going on around you, if you yourself think of yourself as a fake, then you're not going to correct other people because as soon as you correct them and they get healthy, now all of a sudden, who's the unhealthy person that has to get better? I think the reason that we tolerate corruption and there's hypocritical parts of our own hearts is because we, we actually don't want to see other people get better sometimes because that, that might mean that they're actually doing a little better than us. If, they start doing a little, if, if my wife starts to get a little more holy than me, you know who's going to be one of the first people to find out? probably her husband. Do you know what I'm saying? And so we, I think we steer clear of correcting some of these corrupt behaviors that we see in the church, even still today, maybe for our own selfish interest, because we are dodging our, our own hurt that might come our way if other people around us start getting better. And that, that is a tell sign of hypocrisy existing in our heart. The second one that we'll look at is, is that the people here in this scenario and another leaf of spiritual hypocrisy is, is choosing convenience, choosing convenience. Now this, okay, in Mark eleven sixteen, it says that, and Jesus would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. I, I was reading on that because I was like, this doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And apparently what some scholars think is that people were actually using it as like a shortcut of sorts to get through the city, that rather than kind of go around this whole thing or get lost in the city, 
man, you just kind of jump right through the city. Or maybe he was trying to prevent people from continuing to bring things in to be traded and sold. But, but also what I can't help but avoid noticing is that, um, man, I, I get that it would be really hard to travel like thousands of miles with a sheep and my kids. Right? It's, it's hard enough to walk a long ways with my kids, but if, I'm, if I have to care for a sheep that I'm going to sacrifice, like that's tough. But, but God called the people of God, the people of Israel to observe the Passover. And so I think that in his infinite wisdom, he knew that it should be on, it should be on them to be able to bring this costly offering. Like it should, it should take some effort on their end, shouldn't it? To bring that over to the temple and have it sacrificed. And so the other thing, like the, the people here who are coming and observing Passover, they're offering very cheap offerings. Even though they're paying these high uh, exchange rates, even though somebody's profiting off them, they're choosing the path of convenience, aren't they? And, and even still today, how many of y'all know the, the market that we have for church is a buyer's market for church? It's so silly to say it that way. But I mean, you, can, you shop on a church based, well, you know, that guy's funny there, but you know, their kids ministry over here is really powerful. I really like what's happening with the youth ministry over here. Well, this church over here, they just really do local engagement really well. But that church down the road over here, they really do global missions well. And so we start to look at these, we evaluate where we're going to church based on all of these self-preferences. And we, most oftentimes, don't we just choose the most convenient path to worshiping God? And, and I'm not always saying that's wrong, but I think we got to honestly check our heart to go like, am I, am I actually being led here? Am I being called here? Is God trying to, like Daniel was talking about last week, is he trying to plant me here? Or have I just, have I just picked a church based on that guy's sense of humor? Right? Because, yeah, it, it is convenient to be entertained on a Sunday morning. I, I even like having a good time on Sunday morning. That's, that's why I throw jokes in. That's why I just act like myself because I just can't help it. This, this is me and this is what we're doing every week. But man, I, I hope that you're never just picking a church based on what's most convenient in your life. I think what marks a disciple is our ability to wade through things that are difficult, knowing that Christ will be with us even in the most difficult scenarios. So if he's calling you to go somewhere else, if he's calling you to go talk to your coworker that even though it's going to be uncomfortable, if he's calling you to uh, take care of a friend's kid, even though you don't really like that kid, but you need to have him come over. Like there, there is a path of inconvenience that I think the disciple needs to continually choose. And we're going to remain hypocritical if we just constantly are asking other people to do that, but we're unwilling to do it ourselves. The third way that I think we see hypocrisy revealed in this text is, is there's a complacency that's revealed when we read this. And at first glance, I really had to go, okay, what is, what is the link here of prayer? There, there's, there's two draws to prayer in this text. We see it first in verse 17. It says, and, and he was um, teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for the nations, but you have instead made it a den of robbers. And then we see in verse 24, he says, Therefore, um, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Um, I think it is so easy to go through your life as a Christian in a prayerless way. And what that reveals is a sense of complacency that is stuck in you. Like show me a person who's growing in their faith and I'll show you a person who's praying. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily just talking about that praying when you're on your way to work and you're just going, hey God, I need one of these. I need one of them. Help those people. God, do this. God, show up here. I'm talking about actually going, God, what do you want from me today? Like how many of you, before you even, your, your feet hit the ground, you just go, hey God, um, I just want whatever you want today. Whatever you want to do with me, I'm yours today. 
You cannot be a praying person like that and remain complacent in your faith. God will show you things. God will reveal spots where you're weak. God will reveal things that he has for you to do. He will show you places that he's put you on purpose for you to share his good news. If you are a willing person who is in the hands of the Lord, you will pray. And when you pray, you will not stay complacent. But hypocritical people are often stuck in their own complacency because again, they're asking growth from somebody else, but they're not desiring it for themselves or they're not, they're not pursuing it themselves. I think when, when we get like so stuck in demanding behavior from other people that we're failing to do on our own end, it's often because we just don't have this pursuit of growth. And God links these two ideas for us together by saying, hey, this, this temple, this place where, where all these people are doing different things other than seeking after God, what they're doing here is, is they, are, they are missing my heart for the nations. Like, like people are meant to be coming in here to be offering up their worship and what you're doing is you're redirecting them to be focused on how much things cost and how much things, like people want to make this text about like don't sell coffee in the foyer. You know what I mean? But what this is saying is like, don't profane worship. Like it, it should come in here and, and it should be something that causes you to evaluate your own heart as you come in here. You should be sacrificing that lamb going like, okay, there, there is a real reason that that lamb had to die. There is a real reason that I had to put, that they had to put that lamb's blood on the doorpost. It was so that God could pass over the fact that I am not a perfect person. So that my, my sin was absorbed by a different sacrifice. And when you start marveling in that and you start praying in that way, it is impossible for you not to have a desire to be more Christ-like. Like if you want to, if you want to just look at the different behaviors of your life, because I know, I know, I know what a Christian should look like. Don't you? I know how they should talk. I know what words they shouldn't use. I try to teach that to my kids. <laughs> That's a word we actually shouldn't use, right? You know, like, but I know the things that they do. I know the behaviors they have. I know, I know how they should look when they come to church. But here's what I have to ask you. Are those behaviors, are they actually generating fruitfulness in your life? Or are you just like white knuckling this, this obedience and not seeing any actual inward transformation in your heart. See, the reason we get so stuck in complacency is because we focus as the, the, the quiet time and the time in prayer and the time reading scripture and the time in small group. We focus on doing those things and seeing those things as the things that we are meant to do as Christians rather than seeing those things rightly, which what they should be are, are just means to an end, not the end in and of themselves. Like if you see the goal of even the small group mixer, let's use it today. We got a bunch of people signed up for the small group mixer, so I know I'm talking to some of you right now. If you see the goal of church is getting in a small group, you've missed it. The goal of getting into a small group is so that you might be more and more and more, little by little, formed into the image of Christ. Jesus has to be the means to the end. It's not these little peripheral things that we do. All these things that we do are great. But if we don't choose to focus on Jesus, we're going to see these things wrongly and we're going to get lost in our pursuit of them. So we see a few different things of, of the fruit of hypocrisy or the leaves of hypocrisy. We see that they it tolerates corruption, chooses convenience, remains complacent, and then finally we see that it becomes conceited. Jesus has to lace into his reminder at the end of this that, hey, by the way, when you're praying and before you stand and you pray and you ask for these things, Make sure that you've actually forgiven people in your heart. 
right? He says this in, in, verse, in verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you of your trespasses. Um, you know when you're becoming hypocritical, when you are failing to extend something that's been given to you to the other people around you. Here, here's, okay, honestly, let's, let's be real. Here's what's difficult about being labeled as hypocritical is that oftentimes you're right, aren't you? Okay, you're not, you're not necessarily with me yet. Like, like when I tell my kids, like, it's not a good idea to eat ice cream right before bed. Is that true? Yeah, okay, let's, let's use like a more real example. Like nothing good happens after midnight. All right, okay, so nothing good happens after midnight. And then they're like, so dad, when was your cure for you when you were a kid? Did you listen to it all the time? And you're like, um, you're right, but so am I. See, what's difficult about being hypocritical is, and even as a Christian being labeled as hypocritical, is oftentimes what we're saying is correct. You shouldn't live that way. Use financial advice. Uh, the Bible says all over that debt is dumb, right? And you become hypocritical as soon as you are calling out the debt that somebody else has while you have a mountain of it yourself. Uh, but it's so easy to lay out corrections to the world because the world's just so messed up. And what happens is we read this book and we see the ways that we shouldn't be messed up. And in some ways we're living up to it, but in a lot of ways we're maybe not hitting perfect, right? But it's hard as a Christian because what you can see when you look out into the world is just a whole bunch of mistakes. And you don't have to look that hard. That's what makes this word hypocrisy difficult. But, but there's a difference between being correct and not having contempt in your heart. So, so you know that you've branched over to hypocrisy as soon as you're like neglecting to acknowledge that, wait a second, everything that I have and everything that I'm doing, every way that I'm behaving right now has been gracefully imparted to me by the Holy Spirit. It sees, as soon as you come to that standpoint where you're like, man, no, uh, Jesus has given me everything that I have right now. Then and only then can you actually extend that grace to other people. But, but it's so easy to get lost in the fact that it's like, well, no, like, this is the right way of living. But then it's like you evaluate and hold up your, uh, here, let's use this one for example. Homosexuality is wrong. And there's a lot of lust that still lives in people's heart who acknowledge that fact. Can we make it that real this morning? Like this is when Jesus talks about, like it's really easy to point out the speck in somebody else's eye when you're failing to acknowledge the log that's in your own eye. That is, that is what it means to be a spiritual hypocrite. And so I'm not, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we should just bend our rules so that we can make somebody else's behavior right all of a sudden. But what I am saying is in this Holy Spirit-empowered effort, we should acknowledge in humility that I have fallen short, but God loves me. God saved me. God has ransomed me out of the situation that I deserved. And he's offering that to you. You can dismount all sorts of accusations of hypocrisy by just saying, yeah, and I'm just as jacked up as you. And, and let me just say, if you're in this church right now and you're thinking to yourself, man, I don't, I don't probably belong here. I bet everyone else's behavior is way better than mine. I would say, get to know the people around you a little better. <laughs> well, there's, some, there's some hard stories in this room. There's some shame. There's some things that, have, that still hold us with some regret. Is there not? Because nobody in this room is perfect. 
And the reason that Jesus has to implore us at the end of this story to say, hey, and don't forget to forgive others, it's because the religious elites of that day, the Pharisees, were failing to acknowledge that God has been gracious to them and they're failing to then extend that grace to others. The temple in this time, it should have been this beacon. They should have been giving away lambs. Can you think about that? They should have just been giving stuff away. Like the temple was meant to be this encounter for the world to have with God. And they were making, they were creating these obstacles, creating these barriers. And we do the same thing in church today. You can't dress like that. You can't act like that. You can't smoke that. You can't do that. You can't be like that. And it's like, hold on a second. Let the Holy Spirit do that convicting. All my role is, is to acknowledge that the Holy Spirit's been gracious with me. And in his, and in his power, I'm just going to keep on becoming more like Christ but I'm not gonna demand something of you that I am failing to demonstrate in my own heart. So here's the last leaf of spiritual hypocrisy. Spiritual hypocrisy always keeps itself covered. Always keeps itself covered. This story is about fig leaves and and I don't know if it's just coincidence, um, but if we look back at Genesis and if we look back at the Garden of Eden, it's perfect. God's given Adam and Eve everything and it's, and it's beautiful and it's right and he's ordered the world to work in a perfect way and it looks nothing like the world of today because it has none of the effects of sin. Everything is working beautifully and in harmony as it was designed. But Adam and Eve chose to take the forbidden fruit. They chose to eat it and what begins to happen is it's the great then unraveling of God's good, right order of the world and everything becomes fractured by sin. And immediately what happens is Adam and Eve, their eyes are opened. And that's more than just to say like they were wandering around with their eyes closed before. It was, like, it was like all of a sudden they could see spiritually that something had just happened. There was now this disconnect between God. For the first time, they used to walk with him in the garden, but now for the first time they felt shame. They felt embarrassed and they hide themselves. And what do they do? Genesis 3, 7. The eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. There's so much to this, but, but at the end of the day, they take these leaves, they take these, these things that God had provisionally given to them in the garden, and they're now using it to cover up the, their, the, the mistakes that they've made. And I think the message and the invitation today for so many of you in the room is, is man, ditch the covering. I'm not talking about your clothes, okay? Like, let's all, let's all stay decent this morning. But what if you just like, what if today was a moment where you just, you decided, to, I'm just going to quit being fake and I'm going to get some freedom. What if, what if today was the day that I just finally like took off this mask and I quit just presenting myself as like, I just have it all together and I'm just the mom who does everything right. And it's just, it's really good for me. You know, it's all, my kids are all perfect and my husband loves me perfectly and it's amazing. I'm the husband who has it all, I provide for my family and I'm this big man's man. Everything's good at my house. Ugh. <laughs> like, maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're the person sitting in the room and you can't even remember the last time you had a quiet time. You can't remember the last time you opened your Bible. But, but you present yourself and you go to small group and you're just like, oh man, yeah, I just, man, I just love the Lord, right? You, you can always catch when, you're, when someone's covering themselves because they just use a bunch of spiritual platitudes all the time. Man, you know, I know I, know I, I, I should be spending time with the Lord. Yeah, he's so good. Yeah, it's just, it's just good to be with the Lord. Yeah, oh, worship. Oh, man, I just love worship. I just love, I just love doing these things, worshiping, put my hands up in the air. It's just so good, Right? I have to imagine that in this room today, there are a lot of people who are faking like they have it together. And the invitation from Jesus here is to just be free. He's actually offering you. See, you're so, 
crippled right now by the fact that you can't do these moral things that you know that you should be doing as a Christian. But what Jesus actually wants to do is he actually wants to, he actually wants to light up your heart so that you actually desire to do the things that you ought to do because you desire him. He doesn't just want this behavior from you. He actually wants this renewed heart that actually longs to do the things that he gave you to do. But you're never going to get to renewal if you don't first take off the covering and start being real. Jesus, Jesus is always critical of the hypocritical. And hear this, he's always caring to the humble. So if you want to remain covered up, I think you can. I think that, I mean, that's an option that you have and you can keep kind of like pushing through these things that you're going through and you can keep trying to fix it on your own effort. And I would love to just Dr. Phil you right now and say, how's that working for you? Or you could humble yourself because God didn't come to save the healthy. He came to save the sick and you could just open up to somebody around you. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your kids. You want to be that kind of humble humility with your kids. You want to get in a group and actually like not just go through another small group where you just go like, yeah, you know, our life's just really good. We just struggle with regular middle-class problems. You know, sometimes I get angry at the traffic on the road and, some, and sometimes, you know, I, I say a bad word every now and then. Awesome, whatever, get real this time. Don't go through small group in this fake, fake way. Get some friends who will come into your life and who will call out the hypocritical things in you, not because they hate you, not because they don't love you, but because they absolutely love you and they want to see you grow. They don't want to see you become conceited. They don't want to see you become stuck and complacent. They want to see fruit in your life. The fruit of the Spirit is this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, these things there, God is not weighing some law against you to see you measuring these kinds of things. He's just desiring you to be in submission to the Holy Spirit, in humility, so that he might create that fruit in you, not so that you can keep faking it to the other Christians around you. This is the invitation of the gospel. This is the invitation for following Jesus. Now, real quick, last few minutes, because there is this, there is this weird prayer here about moving a mountain. Truly I say to you, 23, Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. This is what I love. like. Next day goes on. Jesus has, his, Jesus has his moment in the temple. He whips it. He flips it. He kicks everything over. The next day they wake up. They're getting going in the morning. They're walking past this tree. Peter's like, dude, that tree that you said was going to die, it's totally dead. And Jesus is like, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever, sa whoever says the mountain be thrown up into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done. How many of y'all think that's a weird answer for what Peter wasn't even asking? <laughs> Peter's just like acknowledging this tree's dead and Jesus is like, pray better. <laughs> I don't think that we should read this and all go outside after this service and pray that Long's Peak would disappear into the Pacific. Now, if God wanted to do that, could he? Sure. I don't doubt him for a second. I actually, I think what this is talking about, what, what Jesus is saying here is like, man, uh, being a spiritual hypocrite, that is a mountain of a task to heal from. Like, like the Pharisees right now in this picture, they are so close to God because of the law and because of their history. And Paul says like, it's all, it's so good that you had this upbringing and you were so close and you missed it. And that creates this obstacle that is as hard to move as a mountain. Like I think Jesus, what he's asking us for is he's, he's saying, hey, what's the impossible block in your life? 
And do you pray for it to be removed or do you just tolerate it? There are some of you in this room right now and you are up against this mountain of anxiety. You're up against this mountain of depression. You're up against this mountain of judgment. Like you are just so judgmental in your heart. You're up against this mountain of anger. Whatever it is, it's this behavior you keep defaulting back to, even though you know you shouldn't be doing this behavior. You're demanding it of the people around you and you're failing to do it on your own. And it's, it's created this gigantic block between what you actually feel is a real relationship with God. And Jesus is saying today, let's pray for that mountain to move. See, the mountain is this figure for like an, an obstacle that's in your way for getting to where you're supposed to be going. The, praying for the mountain to move is saying, God, I don't want to be impeded in my relationship with you. I want to go right into your presence. I want to go right into the life that you're offering to me today. I don't want to deal with this anymore. I don't want to come back to that blockade anymore. I just want you. And so for just a minute as we end the service today, because I think what this message tends to do, I mean, gosh, even me this morning, sit on my couch, 5.30 in the morning, I'm going, I can be hypocritical sometimes. And I got to preach on this message in just a few hours. Like I, I got to communicate as if I was communicating from God to not be a hypocrite and I'm hypocritical. So what does this message do but, but afflict us a little bit? It, it kind of shows us maybe some spots where we've been off, where we've stagnated our growth, where we've failed to fall in love with Jesus. We've fallen in love with these things that we do rather than falling all the more in love with him. But I hope it also, if you're the kind of person here who's, uh, let's maybe you'd say it like not a church person, I hope what this shows you today is that you're just surrounded by a bunch of not church people. We're actually just Jesus people. We're just excited about him and what he's doing. So if you would, just right in your seat right now, I just wanna, if you could, I cup your hands. I just wanna ask that the Lord would help us today. Well, Holy Spirit, would you come? Holy Spirit, would you come? God, you're so faithful to to show us places where we're off and that is proof that you love us. And so God, where we have been hypocrites, would you show us where we're off? Would you maybe put words on our mind right now on how we could apologize, how we could amend different situations with coworkers, family, kids, Show us places where we need to ask for forgiveness from somebody. God, I pray that you would not let a sense of pride or arrogance creep up in this moment. And that even in this week to come, would you just continually remind us that it is by grace we have been saved. It is not our own doing. It is not our own work. And so we have no reason to boast or to think of ourselves as better than anyone else. But God, would we yearn for a better understanding of your grace? Would we leave here desiring more deeply to walk in your mercy and your grace as we keep our eyes focused on you? God, I pray for rich, quiet times this week in your word. I pray for rich times in worship this week. I pray that we would have great conversation with our spouses, with our kids, with, with our roommates or with our friends at the office. God, would you, just, would you give us opportunity all over for us to just continually rest in your grace and beg the Holy Spirit to pull us and whoever else is around us more into your image, God. God, we love you. And we're thankful for the sweet taste of conviction because we know that you, you convict those who belong to you. And so God, we actually find rest in maybe the twinge of guilt that's in some of our hearts right now. And we pray that we wouldn't stay guilty, but we would walk in freedom knowing that you have ransomed us. You have paid the bill in full 
And now our job is to simply remain close with you. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.